0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Lauren and I have an update on the cicada situation in DC and I can confirm it is definitely as bad as everyone warned it would be. So we were in Texas last week. I came back thinking, great, hopefully it's done. We're over. It's worse. It's much worse. So I just have to disagree slightly.
1: It's it's really bad and it's really gross and they're so gross and literally you're driving and one hits your windshield and I feel like I have to duck but it's not as bad I when people warned me about it it was like you had to like I, I don't know like go outside and like crawl through them but there's just big bugs
0: well i guess it, it depends on where you live so to get to my front door mm-hmm. i have to walk under several trees mm-hmm. and they're all around those trees so i feel like i'm walking through a war zone oh. like i'm about to get hit <laughs> by a grenade at any time that is a cicada <laughs> Mine's just like lots of dead bugs on my patio
1: so i just i pull out my handy dandy leaf blower and i just oh, I, that's smart just blow them away oh,
0: that's smart yeah <laughs> Well, if you're dealing with cicadas where you live, we'd love to hear from you. Love to know how you're dealing with it. Uh, I'm pretty much staying inside for the <laughs> most part. But All right. Well, Lauren, on that note, what do we have queued up for today's show?
1: Up on today's Problematic Women, we talk with newly elected Texas school board member and mom, Hannah Smith. Hannah ran for school board when she saw that her family's school district was promoting critical race theory. She won her race, earning nearly 70 percent of the vote. We also catch up with our friend and founder of Problematic Women, Kelsey Bowler, to discuss Pride Month. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week.
0: Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports
1: strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right,
0: let's get to it. I am joined by Hannah Smith, a religious liberty attorney and a newly elected school board member to the Carroll Independent School District in Texas. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So Hannah, you are an attorney, a mom, a wife. You have a lot going on. So to think, okay, now I'm going to run for school board. What was it that motivated you to say, this is something I need to do?
2: Well, you're exactly right. I was really enjoying my life, just being an attorney and being a mom of four active kids and all of the fun things that they do. Um, So life was really good. And then last August, um, there was a plan that was presented to our school board. It was called the Cultural Competence Action Plan. And it really got me involved um, in a lot of ways with the school board. Um, Just helping organize and uh, fight back against this plan that wanted to radically change our school district um, was really, I think, what motivated me to consider running for school board.
0: Well, this wasn't a close election. You won by nearly 70% of the vote. I think that really highlights what the values are of the parents in your community. What do you think that says about what parents actually want their students learning?
2: Well, you know, we do have a very conservative community. um, And we knew that if we turned out our base, that we would win. But it was really a matter of communicating and educating our community about what was going on, Mm -hmm. Um, because there were a lot of people who had, by their own admission, just kind of fallen asleep. You know, they just thought, we've got these award-winning schools, we've got this awesome community, like everything's going well, like I don't need to show up at board meetings, I don't need to be worried about what's happening in the schools, right? And then... The CCap came along, the Cultural Competence Action Plan, and it really motivated people to get more involved than they have ever been before. And you're right, it was, you know, seventy percent to thirty percent, a forty point spread, which was really amazing. I mean, the community turnout at this election really sent a message to our district Mm -hmm. and gave us a mandate going in um, to say we don't want critical race theory in our schools, we don't want the CCap plan, and we're watching, you know, and we're. We're going to turn out to make sure that um, this stays out of our schools.
0: So when we say critical race theory, what was it exactly that was being taught or uh, that was being pushed in your school district specifically?
2: So there was a 34-page plan. It was called the Cultural Competence Action Plan. Um, It wanted to do a lot of different things. Um, I had a friend of mine at FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, look at it, and I said, here are my concerns. What are you seeing? You're the experts in this area. And you know, they said, basically, this is the most radical plan we've seen anywhere in the country. It was full of... um, equity audits, uh, equity audits of our curriculum, our communications, all of our policies um, and procedures. Um, They wanted to change everything through the lens of race and equity. Um, they wanted to implement microaggression tracking and punishment of subjective microaggressions, whether intentional or unintentional, um, to punish students for offenses like asking somebody, where are you from? Because asking them where they're from suggests that they're not American and they're an immigrant and that's offensive. Um, you know, things like that that were really um, going to chill speech um, between our students and prevent them from having having the kinds of conversations that we want our kids to have to get to know each other better. Um, They wanted to implement um, really invasive teacher trainings. So um, training teachers about equity and about um, critical race theory. We did some open records requests and we saw some of the trainings that they had already done. Um, And one of the slide decks that we got was an administrative retreat from 2019 where all of the executive directors and principals of our school district met together and they had training about white privilege White identity, white um, fragility, implicit bias, like all of the, you know, catchphrases for critical race theory type concepts. And one of the slides asked them to identify characteristics of white culture. Um, so it would have done all of that. It would have also created a uh, a teacher evaluation mechanism where teachers would be evaluated based on how woke they are. And if they weren't woke enough, then they couldn't keep their job. Um, They wanted to do audits of the student clubs. And for me, this was really concerning because I'm a religious freedom lawyer and I've done work on college groups, on college campuses where student religious groups were driven off campus because they weren't accepting of certain political agendas or ideologies. Um, And I saw that happening here with these student clubs audits Mm -hmm. so it was just a wide range of things like that that would just radically change our school district
0: how does that specifically impact kids i mean you were talking about you know these requirements for teachers and obviously that's frightening to think teachers have to meet you know the standard of, of wokeness but what is the impact on children being taught these kinds of of ideas that consist within critical race theory
2: that's a really great question um, and it's really hard to answer because there's so many different ways that kids could be impacted by this. Um, essentially, critical race theory says that you know one race is inherently superior to another race um, it also looks at things completely through a power dynamic lens. Um, so everything about society is looked at through the lens of who is the oppressor and who is the oppressed, right? It's a very sort of neo-Marxist kind of ideology. Um, so when you start teaching kids that from a very young age, they start to recognize that what you're really teaching them is they're inherently bad, right? That If you're born with white skin, you're inherently racist, you're inherently an oppressor, and you're inherently bad. And furthermore, that you are um, you are responsible for the sins of prior generations and what that has done um, to other people and other cultures. Um, and so that, I think, is really where it gets to be especially pernicious for our kids. You know, we had a story um, that one of our parents told us in our group about Their son came home from school one day and said to them, Mommy, I'm bad. Mm. And she's like, what do you mean you're bad? And he's like, well, he pointed to the color of his skin. He pointed to his skin. He said, I'm bad. Mm. (laughs) And so, you know, that in just a very simplistic way, this is a very young child, in just a very simplistic way, I think, encapsulates why this is so bad for kids.
0: That's frightening. Yeah. When did you become aware that your school district was teaching, promoting critical race theory.
2: Uh, Last August of 2020, there was a board meeting in early August when this plan was presented. Um, There was a motion to accept the plan and to workshop it. Um, And five members of our uh, school board uh, voted in favor of that motion to accept the plan and to do workshops on it. Two members voted against that. Um, and it was after that board meeting in early August of 2020 that we realized that this was a huge problem, that there were elements of this plan that had already been implemented, even though the administration said it had not been implemented yet, and that we needed to get to work and arm ourselves with facts so that we could push back against the false narrative. Um, so we started doing a bunch of open records requests, asking the administration to give us documents so that we could um, sort of formulate our arguments and formulate our uh, defense against this plan.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we can both agree on the fact that there's there's no place for racism in schools, of course. In, Absolutely. Anywhere in community. Absolutely. All people should be treated equally after your victory, though, NBC, they published a news story with the headline, In Barely Divided Election in South Lake, Texas, Opponents of Anti-Racism Education Win Big. So, Hannah, what is your response to this narrative that if you're against critical race theory, you're a racist?
2: Well, that's a really important question, and I absolutely agree with you that there is no place for racism, discrimination, harassment, uh, bigotry, bullying of any form. Um, And that's something that we said repeatedly on the campaign trail. Um, We are all for um, enforcing our student code of conduct and making sure that kids that do things like this, bully, harass, um, whatever it is, that they are held accountable for those actions Um, but what we don't want is a system implemented that really brings a particular political agenda into our schools right so that NBC piece that you um, mentioned it was interesting because they did an initial uh, article um, Mike Hickson Baugh did and it was really kind of a hit piece against our community you know it talked about Southlake in terms of you know Southlake being a very racist community, that our um, kids were racist, that our school district was systemically racist and that was really um, alarming to so many people in our community. It actually had I think the reverse effect than what was intended by NBC because it mobilized our community to respond and to say this is just not true. This is a false narrative and we are going to show up to the polls and reject that false narrative. And so that second article that you mentioned, that headline that Said in a bitterly divided, you know, victory. It was funny because after that piece hit, Laura Ingram tweeted out, doesn't sound bitterly divided to me. Sounds like a landslide. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So it's it's true that there were certainly um, racial overtones. We were called racist. That was really unfortunate. I responded by saying, you know what, I'm not the racist you are because you're the one who wants to use race and ethnicity to achieve your equitable outcomes. So in fact, you're the one who wants to look at the color of someone skin not me I'm advocating actually a colorblind approach which is consistent with the Civil Rights Act of 1964 where everyone has equality of opportunity but we don't mandate equitable outcomes yeah
0: So, of course, you want to go in now and remove all that critical race theory teaching and agenda out of the school district. Do you anticipate that that's going to be a hard fight in in your district?
2: So we've successfully stopped the implementation of the CCAP. Um, There was some training that was conducted, as we found, through the open records requests. it's really wonderful that we have a brand new superintendent that was just hired um in January and he has come in to help heal this divide and to help um m- you know move us forward as a district. I think he rightly recognized that there were some key administrators that were at the forefront of this fight to implement CCAP that um probably were not um, well-suited to continue their job in our district. So we have four administrators that are now no longer working for our district that were at the forefront of CCAP, which is a huge victory as well. Um, And so I think CCAP is on hold. Those administrators are gone. And I think what we need to do now on the board is just its sort of like a game of whack-a-mole. You know, like as soon as something pops up, we just like hit it back down again, you know. And at our very first board meeting, we actually had an agenda item that dealt with... um, A curriculum issue, and I did some research on it, and it looked like there was going to be some uh, social-emotional learning component to it that looked like it was involving um, a company that made statements that they were going to revamp their curriculum through race and equity. So I raised the issue, and we're dealing with that now. But it is really a game of whack-a-mole. You have to just be really attentive and, and fight back.
0: Now, is there a program or curriculum that you all are advocating for to kind of take the place of critical race theory? I mean, is there a good way to actually talk about
2: this in schools and with young people? That is such a great question. And last fall, I actually did do some research on that because I thought, well, if we're going to say no to this, we have to have an alternative, yeah. because there has to be some training. I think um, to help um, our teachers and our students understand what's involved with the student code of conduct, what it you know prohibits, and how they can, um, be more educated on what they can and cannot do. Um, and so we did, um, find actually a woman, her name is Kareth Foster, and she has a program called Inversity and she calls it a, um, an alternative to diversity equity, and inclusion so inversity um, is a way that she addresses um, the topics of stereotyping you know everyone's stereotypes you know we sort of make stereotypes about people and, and how do we do that and why do we do that and how can we avoid those kinds of stereotypes um, but she's a former um, comedian, so she uses humor and she uses storytelling to talk about some of these hard questions and issues um, in a way that's not you know using identity politics it's not shaming anyone it's just helping us think about you know how do we all get along you know and and celebrate each other's um, differences and uniqueness um, in a positive way and so we actually did a webinar with her for our community which is really fun Um, and she's working right now with the Plano ISD school district as well as the um, Louisville school district so um, you know she might be a, a viable alternative
0: yeah that's encouraging yeah now, were you surprised or are you surprised that even in a very conservative state like Texas, in a conservative part of Texas, that critical race theory was being pushed?
2: I was really surprised. You know, our family moved here from Washington, D.C. area um, because we wanted to raise our kids in a conservative area of the country, right? Um, and Tarrant County is one of the most red counties in North Texas, um, And Southlake itself is one of the most conservative um, communities in the area. So we were really surprised that they would try and do this in such a conservative place. Um, And, you know, I think what they probably thought was if we can succeed in Southlake, we can succeed anywhere. You know, if we can get this passed in one of the most red cities in Texas, then we can do it anywhere. And that's why we really had to stand up and fight back because we knew that we were sort of the tip of the spear. So what would be your advice to other
0: parents who are either aware that this is happening in their school district or maybe that as you're talking are thinking, "Oh, I wonder if it's happening in my child's school sure. and I'm not sure."
2: Yeah. Um, so I would say first sort of form a group of like-minded parents, you know, whether it's a Facebook group or a WhatsApp group or, you know, a, an email group list, whatever, just get organized and find like-minded people. And then I would say that you need to start doing some open records requests. Um, You need to start asking for things from your school district. Ask for documents... um that involve teacher training ask for documents that involve surveys you know uh, students are surveyed about a lot of things at school and there's some hot button issues that they may be asked by their administrators or teachers and the parents need to know what those surveys are and what's in them um, so teacher training surveys I would also ask for funding how are you, how are you planning to fund um, these various initiatives um, so I would do a lot of open records requests to get information Um, And then I would just say, educate yourself. There's a lot of um, nonprofits that already exist, national nonprofits that have websites online that have a lot of really great resources to help you know what to do and how to fight back. Um, And I would just encourage them to do that.
0: Hannah, thank you so much for your time. So, so
2: appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Up next, we chat with Kelsey Bowler about Pride Month. But first, I have a question for you all. Do you need a job? If yes, then you need to sign up for the Heritage Foundation's Job Bank. The Heritage Job Bank connects conservatives of all career levels to jobs with conservative employers all over the country, and it's free. If you sign up, the Job Bank will send you new job openings every week and invite you to their virtual job fairs and career seminars. The Job Bank team also offers one-on-one career consultations. Signing up is very easy. Just go to heritage.org slash jobbank and and click on Register Today.
1: Welcome back. Well, it feels like old times again. I have my friend, former co-host, Kelsey Bowler in the studio. Welcome, Kelsey. It's great to be back. Feels like I never left. Well, Kelsey, it is June, and you know what that means? My birthday month. Your birthday month. (laughs) But not quite as important. It's also Pride Month. And... Debatable, debatable. <laughs> no, I said it wasn't as important as Pride Month. Yeah, your birthday's way more important. I appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, I guess I, ha- in theory, I, I don't have a big problem with Pride Month, right? What, well, like, whatever. It doesn't really mean anything. You can put there's like National Pickle Day, National Cake Day. You know, like, can you tell we're recording this right before lunch? But you know, like, there, you can put a label on anything. But what's so obnoxious to me is everything now has just a big old rainbow on it. Right,
3: I saw this tweet from BMW with all the gay pride flags and so forth celebrating Gay Pride Month, and somebody compared it to their promotion happening over in Saudi Arabia and other (laughs) countries uh, that are incredibly impressive towards (laughs) anybody, gay, lesbian, and so forth. The hypocrisy is very real, and these corporations could be using – their platforms, their money, their power to be advocating for basic human rights for uh, the LGBT population in other uh, countries around the world where you literally can be killed for uh, being gay. Uh, but instead, you know, they just perpetuate this double standard where they celebrate Gay Pride Month here. And turn a blind eye on what's happening in other countries. Well, I want to talk about one specific Pride Month promotion being done by a corporation,
1: and that is done by Burger King, their (laughs) new chicken sandwich, which, I mean, I'm not a big Burger King person, but I will not lie. Before I, I heard about this, the sandwich did look pretty good.
3: Honestly, I've had it once. Really? Was and it good? It's no Chick-fil-A sandwich, but I, I would get it again. Wow. Well, I don't know no, now. I, I would have got it again. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: so now Burger King has announced that a portion of every sandwich sold would be donated to the human rights campaign. And they actually not only tweeted that, they said, e, quote, parentheses, even on Sunday. And that was a dig at Chick-fil-A. And Kelsey, it's like, can our chicken sandwiches just be chicken sandwiches?
3: No. And, you know, a lot of us took issue with the primary fact of if we buy a chicken sandwich from here, we are now uh, donating to an organization uh, that actually wants to, you know, reduce equality and and, uh, take away basic women rights and so forth and divide our country. Um, into all different colors and sexes and groups and so forth, that's bad enough. But then they also had to take a dig at Chick-fil-A, which they have no business doing because Chick-fil-A has the best fast food chicken sandwich of all time. Everybody knows that. And um, I was actually really proud of my dad. He is a Burger King fan, (laughs) and he told me last night that after seeing that tweet – he actually wrote a letter to Burger King, uh, complaining about uh, their their attack on Chick fil A being closed on Sunday, uh, because it's it's not just. an attack on its competitor, a lighthearted attack. It's actually an attack on a company, company's religious values. And my dad viewed it as an attack on religion in general, which of course, uh, across this country, there's so many examples of religion being under attack. And (laughs) our editor in chief of daily signal, Kate Trinko actually worked at Burger King. I love (laughs) when she shares this story. Um, And, She made a good point about why would Burger King go after Chick-fil-A for having giving its employees one consistent day off on the weekend like that in today's society, you would think all these culture warriors would be supportive of that. And no, they, they attack them for it. <laughs>
1: well, Kelsey, just based on the drive through lines, anytime you pass a Burger King, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the only thing for like 40 miles. I'm going to have to eat it. And then you look at Chick-fil-A and they have like three different drive through lines. You but know, they go so fast. So fast. <laughs> so fast. Well, well, and that wasn't the only thing. Really, at the same time I heard the tweet, I had a friend send me a reel on Instagram of Nickelodeon. Let's play a clip.
2: Doesn't it just fill you with pride Showing who you are on the inside With that pride flag up high Be Show your pride, wave those flags, everybody Here we go Red, light, like, orange, healing Yellow is sunlight Green, nature, blue Hearty, purple is spirit Baby, blue, pink, white Represent transgender people And black and brown Represent the queer and trans people of color
1: Elsie, can you, I mean, uh, I know Nickelodeon has kind of gone leftwards and there's been you know, gay and transgender characters on shows, but the way they just showcase a, a, a drag queen with this pro-LGBT propaganda, I mean, like,
3: I, when, I, I immediately sent it to you. What was your first reaction? <laughs> You're right. It's LGBT propaganda, and I do think it's important for those who listen to the clip and have not watched it to know it It did appear to be a drag queen. I don't know if that individual was actually transgender or just a drag queen, uh, but this is an attempt by a, uh, you know, children's network to normalize transgender propaganda and this whole ideology. I can tell you as a mom <laughs> becoming a mom over the uh, past two years, these types of, uh, videos and, and incidents have become more alarming and more real to me. The implication—it scares me to think how hard it is to shield your child from this propaganda. It is everywhere. Uh, it happened in Blue's Clues recently. Oh it's it's just unavoidable. Like what what is safe for children? And I I do think there's a growing market. Uh, there anybody listening can do something <laughs> about it to provide safe programming uh, for children you know I'm not saying I will never teach my daughter about the existence of transgender individuals but at a young age uh, the the concept of gender is is so basic and so important and and such a privacy, uh, right to raise your child, you know, based on your own religious and biological <laughs> beliefs, and for these programs to uh, think it's it's their not only like their right but their obligation to force this on our children is. So inappropriate, a huge invasion of privacy, but quite frankly, hard to avoid. Yeah. I, literally, when I was a kid, I don't think I could
1: think of a better day than going to Burger King and coming home and watching Nickelodeon. <laughs> oh, so sad. <laughs> but, I mean, I think as conservatives, we need to call it as it is. They are sexualizing our children. Right. They are sexualizing our children. Kids should be able to be kids. And uh, you, a drag queen is... A, an act of sexuality as a man becoming a woman and, and, and flaunting it. And, you know, it's a whole nother topic about whether that's right or wrong or, or obviously I have the right to do it. But why are we pushing this on children? Like, there, there's no reason to
3: Lauren, The one encouraging sign I want to point out is that just a few months ago, I felt that because of cancel culture, uh, parents wouldn't have the ability to push back on a lot of um, this nonsense being pushed on our children, both in schools and, you know, on, on, on TV and in books and really everywhere you go, social media and so forth. But in just the last few weeks, we have seen a wave of parents and teachers and educators standing up to the local school boards, pushing back and fighting for, their ability to raise their children as they see fit and adhere to basic biology, I I find this very um, very encouraging uh, because these parents and educators who are speaking out are risking so much i mean being smeared as a racist if you're against crt being smeared as anti lgbt during gay pride month i mean you can be shunned from your community you can lose your job like th- these are th- these are serious things but it's like it's kind of becoming a domino effect where it started with just a few parents and even i've seen children speaking out about some of this and and now there's just more and more all across the country. And I'm getting to the point where I'm not so cynical, I actually have some hope that we can return to some semblance of normalcy. I love that. And Kelsey, I'm
1: so glad you brought it to a positive place to end. <laughs> because you're 100% right. Like even on social media, if you try to talk it on these issues, you'll be blocked. So it really does take people in person and large groups of people standing up and fighting back. And And I'm Just that you're hopeful makes me hopeful, Kelsey. It's already making a difference. All right. Well, stay
0: tuned. We'll be back with more Problematic Women. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. Heritage Explains is a weekly podcast that breaks down all the policy issues we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher mix in news clips and music to tell a story, but also bring in heritage experts to help break down complex issues. Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed in an entertaining way. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. Now it is
1: that time, once again, my favorite time of the week. Time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And the crown goes to... Tony McFadden. Tony is a mother of two daughters, an international speaker on the topics of abortion and healthy relationships, and she serves as the Minority Outreach and Healthy Relationships Director at Students for Life. Earlier this week, Tony wrote a bold and touching post
0: on Facebook, and we want to tell you about it. But first, just a little bit of background. So, you all may have seen in the news that a Texas high school graduate named Paxton Smith delivered an impassioned valedictorian pro abortion speech. During her graduation ceremony last week, her Dallas high school didn't know that she was going to give the speech because it was not the speech that the school had approved for her to give. Nonetheless, she made it all the way through her speech, arguing that Texas's new abortion laws are, quote, a war on my body and a war on my rights. Many are praising the high school grad for being so articulate and speaking out on the abortion issue.
1: In response to all the immediate attention Paxton Smith is receiving, Tony McFadden wrote in a post on Facebook to her daughters. It's a really long post, so we're not going to read the whole thing, but this is what she said. Quote, To my daughters, please do not look up to girls like Paxton Smith. She may have the ability to string together emotionally driven words, but if they are not founded in truth, it will lead to destruction. I know this so well. When Mommy was a senior in high school, I made a huge mistake – That I will regret for the rest of my life. I believe the very lies that Miss Smith relayed in her valedictorian speech. When I found out I was pregnant, I felt that my dreams, my goals, and my aspirations were being stripped from me. Knowing what I know now, they were simply feelings. Feelings change, but truth does not. The quote continues As an immature teenage girl, I believed the lie that ending the life of my child would restore my dreams, my goals, and my aspirations. After consuming poisonous pills to end the life of my baby, your sibling, that is not what happened. Nothing was restored.
0: Wow. I'm so, so incredibly thankful for people like Tony who are willing to be very vulnerable about such a, a sensitive and really, really personal issue. Something so personal about having had an abortion and how that affected them personally personally. Um, So, Tony, thank you for speaking out uh, and pushing back. And I think that advice uh, to her daughters is just so, so true. It's so easy to look at people. And, um, you know, we can admire the fact that they are articulate, that, you know, they did take a stand for something that that they believe in. But that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it true. Couldn't agree more. And what a great place to end the show this week join us next thursday morning for a brand new edition and in the meantime please subscribe and share conservatives need your support in the podcast world and we would greatly appreciate
1: a five-star review on spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts really does
0: make a difference have a great week and we'll be back with you all next thursday